out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello and welcome to another Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast here. Broadcasting, podcasting from the beautiful Austin, Texas area. You know, the refugee land. There are houses, not tents of people who have flocked away from the metro Los Angeles location to do things like writing and film and those sorts of things. It's a funny thing. Um, I just need to give you an update quickly that uh, the name of this episode is that they're moving to force. Okay? The the gig is up. I mean, it is up. FBI, you know, was on the grill. Okay, you've got tomatoes, corn, mushrooms, lemons, zucchini, and Christopher Ray summer grill. And we will get you the audio from some of the repartee that was going back and forth. You got their number, and you were dissenting properly, because if you weren't dissenting properly then there wouldn't be this, this croaking and groaning from the, you know, pathocracy at the top uh, of the global world leadership. They would not be rushing to cram global ID. They would not be rushing to cram CBDCs, leaning in going, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's like... So that means that they're, they're going to, to rape you with this agenda. That's what they intend to do. Let's just, let's just not varnish this, okay? There, there, won't be, there won't be any lubricant. There won't be any preparation. This is just, you know, this is just hard, hard set. This is, this is a, a hard power play. And the way this is going down is uh, let's get back to Hollywood, where this is kind of what goes on. Now, we have managed to find the bottom, meaning the, the barrel bottom of what a Hollywood writer won't do to stay employed. I mean, they went after the SAG after union. You know, they, they towed the line with all the communists speak. They did what they were told. They danced and they hoop danced to the right communist shill of the day. They did their two minutes of hate, promoted crappy vaccines. You know, whatever they wanted done, they did. But the bottom, the absolute scrape and bottom of the barrel. Okay? That was not how a bottom of a barrel sounds, but I'll just continue. We've hit the bottom. And what that is, is that the people who are in charge of compensating for name, image, and likeness are not going to do so because that has been scraped up by AI and they feel they cannot be held responsible for what an autonomous bot collects in the course due course of business. Now what does that sound like? That sounds like what the internet aperture has been feeding you for the last 17 to 22 years. Up, your name image and likeness is public public domain. That's what they tell you. It's not necessarily so. So what's very crucial and very important about this assertion right now is that they are drawing a line in the sand that if this is traversed, no one will ever be able to own themselves or their creative output ever again. The fact that it's happening now is really important. This is the line to draw in the sand. I am behind you 100% for these reasons. Now, this isn't about a union. This isn't about striking to me. This is about someone taking ownership of themselves, their creative juice, and what the, the measure of trade is on the auspices of creativity. If we are gonna have a creative trade that is reliable and has been as sustainable as LA, regardless of how the sausage is made, uh, which none of us control really, but let's start ejecting pathocrats. 
Let's start ejecting the people who are making consecutively horrifying, horrible decisions based on owning people outright. This, this has got to go. The, the CCC, CCP compliant Hollywood, got to go. The people who are, you know, in bed making deals with the Ghislaine Maxwell class of Epstein pedophiles, those people got to go. They got to go to jail. Okay? The CCP plutocrats, jail or, you know, leave and, and self-exile to Indonesia or Singapore or wherever you feel like you can make it. Okay? Because we're not going to supply this totalitarian empire here in America. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to fund it with our dollars. Secondary point, I need to say out loud that there's been noises made recently about, you know, basic things like, yeah, you know, the CCP and the doctors who work for the CCP should be denounced by the medical community because of forced organ harvesting. Okay, good. Okay, good. We knew that. That's That should be a basic... Yeah. But what they may not be kind of putting together is that the PLA is involved in, in many lines of, of illegal, illicit businesses in the United States and in the West. And one of them is, is drug and drug cartel trafficking human trafficking, uh, real estate um, market tampering, where they buy a huge building and then don't live in it, let anyone live in it, and then jack up the uh, real estate rates, like, sky high. So if you want to live in that building, you've got to pay, like, double or triple the rent that you ordinarily would do, because it's not really a building. What it is, is it's a, a, a fixed asset that parks PLA drug money or PLA associate drug money. That's what they're doing. It's called the Vancouver model. And we've discussed it before, but if you just, you just put Vancouver model in your DuckDuckGo there, because I'm not going to tell you to go to Google. So you put Vancouver model in there and then it just, it just tells you, it just tells you that that's how they do it. So in league with human trafficking trafficking of of uh children women native american women in particular in in the vancouver area in the pacific northwest but not just them but we're going to talk about the kids for just a second because the studios have put a fatwa out some of the studios i'm not going to say all of them some of the studios have put a media fatwa on the sound of freedom, which exposes child trafficking and child sex trafficking, which everybody, everybody in the world agrees is wrong. Everybody agrees why it's wrong. We know that there are laws. The laws are enforceable because there are pedophiles in jail right now. Among them is Ghislaine Maxwell. So nobody's really escaping this one. If they can be caught, they will go to jail. Okay? Case in point, Larry Nassar last week was stabbed several times. I don't know if he's going to make it, but Larry Nassar was stabbed several times in prison. This was the guy that raped the U.S. Olympic gymnast team. Like, single-handedly, the doctor that raped the entire team. And that is a shame on us because... The FBI knew about it, and they didn't cover for our glory. They didn't cover for the most vulnerable. And it is a slap of shame upon all of us that our law enforcement didn't intervene because corruption. So yes, Christopher Ray on the barbecue, getting grilled because he's protecting the wrong people. He's protecting the wrong people. Or has been. So there's a bill out there that's going to basically scissor off about $1 billion in institutional funding for the Federal Bureau of Investigations. And I, I think that that would be okay. Because if they were actually doing their job and focusing on real crime rather than 
ideology crime and misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation trying to control the narrative and psychological operations on people they don't have any jurisdiction really over in this area. And then, of course, there's the bald-faced denialism from DHS, which just kind of keeps going. I read a disclaimer from an email this week that essentially said, you know, and I'll have to go find it for you, but, but it essentially said, in fact, hang on. All right, I think I have it for you here. Do a few clicks. Okay, so this is from the OIG report. And the OIG is responsible for making the Department of Homeland Security legally comply to laws that apply to their agency. And there certainly are government laws that apply to law enforcement and to agencies that conduct intelligence services for the American people so much. Okay. So the way that those laws are interpreted by compliance has meaning, but um, what is interesting is this disclaimer I'm about to read you from, now they were kind of laundering propaganda, okay? And propaganda is not illegal for the government to put, it's putting out their own perspective, but making it forceful, like this is what you gotta believe because we say so, that is, not really justified in our constitution. The use of force to cause you to say and believe and do what the government wants is not a free society. That's not a free society action. Um, <clears throat> you have the right of resistance, essentially, and dissent to, to certain things that are, you know, it's not a law. You know, belief is not, you know, what they want you to believe is not necessarily... It's not even necessarily true in many cases. So this is a case where it's not necessarily true, so I'm going to read it to you. Which, there's an office in the government for things that are not necessarily true, billed as communication in psychological operations, also known as disinformation offices. Okay? This is, this is basically disinformation. Okay, so they say that there's a resilience series that they're promoting... It's a two web-based graphic novels that use sequential art to tell a short story to help individuals understand the risks foreign influence operations pose. The graphics in the novels are meant to highlight the importance of evaluating information sources. Well, thank you. That may be helpful. I can take it or leave it. But underneath this citation is, uh, is this, this uh, notice. It's a disclaimer, and it says... CISA's email correspondence to social media platforms included the following disclaimer, quote, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, CISA, of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, is not the originator of this information. CISA is forwarding this information unedited from its originating source. This information has not been originated or generated by CISA. This information may also be shared with law enforcement or intelligence agencies. CISA affirms that it neither has nor seeks the ability to remove or edit what information is made available on social media platforms. Saw how they like kind of slipped that one in? So CISA makes no recommendations about how the information it is sharing should be handled or used by social media companies. Additionally, CISA will not take any action favorable or unfavorable towards social media companies based on decisions about how or whether to use this information. And of course, end quote. So we know that's not true. We know that's not true anymore because we have receipts. We have lots and lots and lots of receipts actually from the Missouri v. Biden injunction, which, you know, in the court of ping pong, now it is, you know, now it's back in the place of injuncting the injunctions for a wait and see. I don't know how long that one's going to last. But, you know, for at least a week we had uh, social media freedoms. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to produce uh, what I intended to produce and just shove it out there anyway. You know, swab the deck, skipper. 
Shiver me timbers. <laughs> we'll get after these pirates anyway. Uh, so, what did I want to tell you? It's that, you know, if the PLA is schlepping, you know, organ harvesting using Latin American children that they have strategically shoved towards the border through the drug trade, and then they're laundering the drug money that they get from the drug trade into real estate so they can jack up the real estate prices so that you can't live there, but, you know, empty buildings full of no Chinese people who own it live there, don't live there. You know, that so that other people in the media have to say, well, it's time for U.S. doctors to denounce the CCP's forced organ harvesting. Blah, blah. You know, stuff that we thought was fairly obvious, but it's just worth saying, you know, for the little people. Does it? Does any of this seem kind of evil to you? Because I, I know while I'm taking kind of a goofy tone over this, uh, it is ostensibly evil. It is face-smackingly, like, red. Slap. Ah! So evil. That I have to talk to you about this, this special column of the sciences and psychology called Ponderology. And it's been getting a lot of attention in the last month and a half. I'm a special subscriber to uh, and Harrison Kelly. Keeley? It's K-O-H-L-E-I. If you have the right pronunciation, let us know what that is. But I, I'm going to call it Kelly um, uh, for right now. Harrison Kelly. And uh, he has been authoring, editing, producing um, additional chapters on, on ponderological, you know, writings at Substack. And I'm one of his proud subscribers because I'm interested in, in the pathology of evil and the people who, who run governments in a totalitarian way, in a really hard-nosed, top-down, do-it-my-way or else will use... Lots of force, maybe kill you, maybe torture you, hurt you really bad, take your children, do bad things to your children, kind of thing. Um, that is evil. That's evil. So if you are a kind government or a government that responds to uh, public um, coordination in a balance of, you know, you fight it out, you duke it out with your, your peers on the public debate floor. But now, if it gets to a point where certain members of the society say that debate cannot be handled because they can't handle debate, things cannot be discussed because I can't discuss them. It, it makes me crazy. But they're, they're because they're already crazy. Um, you know, they, they are probably going to slip into that ponderology column. You know, if they can't handle a technical debate about what they believe and why it should be public policy, then they can't be in charge, okay? You can't let them be in charge. Make them explain their positions, and if they can't handle explaining their positions, they should not be in charge. They should not get a public dime of compensation. They should probably seek uh, medical attention for their mental health. You know, and I'm not saying that people in the government don't have certain mental health issues. Obviously, mental health is as common, mental health illness is as common as ranging from a mild cold to uh, just catastrophically unable. So there, there's a spectrum of ability. Marian, Pathocrats, these are people who are crazy people in charge. That's what a pathocrat is. They presume that they're high-functioning. And what, what they've done is terrorize and terrify people around them with their, their instability and their, their sociopathy. So that they, you don't know what's coming and 
they have a tendency to, to, to put people in a position where they can be controlled with fear. And their whole agency is one of fear. Controlling people who like to hurt others, they, they, they put those people close to them. Okay, and they control them with what they're terrified of. And so it's a regime of fear. So the people who say, we are against terrorism, we do not like counterterrorism, but they have surrounded themselves with catastrophically mentally ill, scared, scary people who terrorize others within an inch of their livelihood, of their life, okay? I, w I don't want you to ignore that. I want you to notice it. I want you to notice it. Because people who make threats, that's like the first thing they do. They're crazy. They don't come in the door like, oh, well, let's negotiate, la, 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 you know. They give you latitude to have some options, right? Or they lead you in a certain direction that they, they think that they should choose for you. They put a few options out there. They, they do the routine kind of manipulate you, sell you a little bit, okay? That's all par for the course. People are trying to haggle, get together, get their needs met. Sometimes it's hard, la la la. But there is a corner that it turns where there's more force used. And that is what I'm going to talk to you about today. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Meta. That's Facebook's you know, parent company. It's Meta, Facebook, and now this Threads business. Threads wasn't up for 15 minutes before it started censoring people, actively censoring people. So I think that the whole point of Threads is to kind of punk Twitter for not having a business-derived model that does shake people down based on the intelligence community's order of business. Because that's how they make a living over there. They sell intelligence to China and whoever asks for it, and they censor whomever they tell them to censor. And then they shake down these businesses and say, you can't sell today because I didn't like what you said online. And then they can weaponize a 10 cent mob to, you know, put on the Antifa face like, oh, it's Antifa, but it's really us, you know. Or, you know, if that's not working, well, get the guys in Moldova. If that's not working, get the guys in Russia. If that's not working, get the guys in... Sudan, Nigeria, keep going until you find a guy. So, you know, they just kind of outsource all of the, you know, the shakedown and make it look like it's, you know, it's an American organic, you know, movement. People really hate you, but it's, it's three pronged attacks from people who are paid to do this. They're paid to do this. Okay. And sometimes they even get up the, the food chain. You know, they might look like Taylor Lorenz. They might look like this guy, Jonathan Katz. You know, they get awards. They get awards for all the good things they do for the intelligence state. Uh, you know, punishing people online for bad views. How dare they? Well, it looks like Meta starts blocking Canadian news sites in response to liberal government shakedown. This is Reclaim the Net. They just, they just popped out. One, two, three, four, five, five of these, and then we're going to talk about what France is doing. So, but we're going to start with Canada because it has a link to France. Okay, re recent regulatory changes in Canada have sparked a new digital war front between tech giants and Canadian news outlets with popular platforms like Instagram and Meta's newly launched app Threads increasingly restricting access to news content after a shakedown attempt from the Canadian government. Instagram's obstruction of Canadian news outlets came to light when social media managers in the country encountered a message stating people in Canada can't see this content in response to Canadian government legislation. Just legislation. They haven't passed it yet. This is what we could have been if we let the king run things back in Europe. News content can't be viewed in Canada. Aww. Sorry, Canada. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, French Canadians are going through the same thing. 
So they might want to find out what's going on in the world. There's a lot of riots going on in France. <sighs> so what are the French riots really about? We've heard about them. Oh, they're the worst. You know, French riots are the worst. Okay, turns out that they're rioting over mass surveillance. It's, you know, police shooting and riots, what to know, what to know. But as it turns out, in alt media, there's a lot of people out in the streets who've had it. And it's over a security law. And the security law, you know, they de they've detained a lot of people. You know, it's um, the press freedom, civil liberties, concerns over the French, French security bill. And this is, you know, from all, uh, I can't get it anywhere else. It's, so they published it on Al Jazeera. Who knew? Okay. So if the bill passes, sharing images of police would become illegal, while officers would be allowed to use camera-equipped drones. So this is about AI. Journalists and activists have raised concern over a new bill by the French government aimed at ushering in the so-called global security law. It's a global security law. All right, so it, it applies to the globe. Maybe we should be protesting this global security law ourselves because it would likely, because they're using an iPhone, they would launder their global security law premise at Apple, and Apple would be like, yeah, okie doke, we'll do that for you. We'll launder our uh, security limits onto Americans. Whatever you say, Macron. Under the law tabled by members of the parliament from President Emmanuel Macron's governing La République en Marche party, LRM, Sharing images of on-duty police with the aim of harming their physical or psychological integrity will be punishable with up to a year in prison and a maximum 45,000 euro. Okay, other proposed measures include allowing police to use camera-equipped drones and easier access to CCTV footage. The aim of the bill, which is debated in the National Assembly this week, is to protect those who protect us. Uh, in reference to recent attacks on French police last month. But a broad coalition of critics in France has warned the measures could undermine the freedom of the press, the public's right to be informed, and growing efforts to stamp out police-led violence. You know, and there is some. There is some. Let's not be stupid. In January, for example, witness video was used as key evidence in the case of Cédric uh, Chauviet, a 42-year-old driver, of the Algerian origin who died in January after officers continued pinning him to the ground despite saying, I'm suffocating seven times. Three officers were later charged with manslaughter. So they had a George Floyd situation. And uh, so the UN Human Rights Councils made an extraordinary intervention to critique the innumerable problems of the bill and called for French politicians to not support it. Claire Hedon France's human rights defender, an independent administrative authority, but appointed by the president, said in a statement the legislation poses considerable risks infringing several fundamental rights, in particular the right to privacy and freedom of information. And uh, through the weekend, I got the chance to pick up um, an Epoch News Times, Epoch Times, yes, um, interview where they did unpack more about the iPhone and what that will be used and, and more broadly over uh, the territory of France. In fact, let's just go there right now. I mean, just this is Epoch Times, um, the iPhone surveillance. Government can spy on you through your camera and microphone. So let's just go there now. Riots recently swept through France, but beyond all of this, something else happened. The French leadership under Emmanuel Macron used the riots to usher in new policies of mass government surveillance. What's now being created in France is one of the most comprehensive surveillance systems in the entire world. Every smartphone is now a camera and a microphone for authorities. Every computer is now a node in a massive spy network. 
Every device with real-time geolocation is now a tracking device in the pocket of another citizen. Now, authorities claim that accessing devices is going to be reserved for cases of terrorism and delinquency and organized crime. But look, with the broadness of what defines suspected crimes these days, that could very easily expand. Okay, that ended up being Joshua Phillip with the show on Epoch TV called Crossroads. And I'm glad that that was the um, short short cap of what he had to say. I'm glad he just got it out um, because his shows are kind of long. Sorry, Joshua. Um, but that that's the nut graph right there. That's the story. So should iPhone be accommodating France on a law that hasn't even been, been passed? Are they massaging this? What I've been, yes, yes, Sophie, I can hear you. Um, what I understand about the EU is that their telecoms have all been in meetings and that they have greenlit, you know, plans, whatever you want to do, guys, CBDC, WorldCoin, uh, global use of biometric uh, pay scans, whatever you want to do, we're game. And I think that that would have some complicity or have something to do with iPhone going, okay, we'll do it. See, I think it's it's highly problematic in that as a U.S. consumer, I don't want to conform to France's laws uh, when I'm in America. Yeah, I hear that. I heard that. At least from where I sit, that sounds like really bad news. So um, I think for as much of... Uh, complicity that we have been offering the world on these things, I think we should start resisting a lot more. Um, because the people who are playing uh, against our interest um, are getting a lot of money to not do so. So there's financial incentive and it's easy for them to go along with them and then shove it out to you. They, it appears that you have no resistance to that, but that's not the case. So, in the past, in the tech sector, they have been very sensitive. There, there was a time. There was a time when they were very sensitive and they did not go hard-nosed. The only reason they got like that is because they had the green light. They had the force of the American government, you know, with a gun in their kidney uh, to, to, to do and say bully-like things. You know, the... The automatic nature of a technologist is to, to build things. They don't. They really kind of have an agnostic things on, on political. You know, I'm sure that, that there are people who are a lot more political now because their job requires it. But I would say back in the 2010s, people had that virtuosity of liberal flexibility, meaning they weren't illiberal. They weren't totalitarian. They didn't defer to the government on all things. They didn't go to the experts and say, well, this is, and, and pat the, the publican on the head and say, this is how you, should, you shall think. Okay, they didn't used to do that. But then we, we took a definite turn in that direction because we had those guns in the kidneys. You know, coming from the NSA, the, the force, the use of force from the federal government. And man... That is like cocaine snort to a totalitarian fascist. And man, they are just, they just sit together at the same table and they say the same things, you know, but they make it sound like it's just the same. It's not. You know, they, they sat around with, you know, Stanford liberals and, you know, made the same noises that they always kind of make and blended in. But what they really are are totalitarian fascists, which means that they are going to go to the government for the business, and once they get the business, they're going to use that as force to make you comply with their business. And everybody's like a war contractor. I'm not saying they are war contracting, but they're going to make, they're going to force you to pay for whatever it is that they're building with your taxes. And that's their whole game. It's, uh, 
It's it's like it's like Franco. It's like Mussolini. And it is like Hitler. But they don't present themselves that way. You know, to to say, you know, among the left, you know, how dare you call us a fascist? I can call you a fascist if you behave like a fascist. If you are a socialist, essentially, that wants to appropriate your business to the U.S. taxpayer, you are a card-carrying fascist. That's your politique. Sorry. And because they don't like being called out for what they are, um, because they know how they have no leg to stand on. They know that we hate, you know, the proverbial Nazi. But the distance between what Nazi was and is and, and did is getting fuzzier and farther away now that our World War II vets are dying, dying off. People don't remember that war. They weren't close to it. They, don't, they didn't have any stake in it. You know, people were still... This is before the, the dryer, the electric dryer. <laughs> people were still pinning up their clothes on, on laundry lines. So anything that predates their, their lived experience, they tend to not remember because they don't have the history. So we have to tell people what is actual, what is actual fascism? You know, what is actual socialism? And so this, is, this brings me to the political ponderology argument once again. So I'm going I'm to queue up an interview. Uh, again, Epoch Times, they, they just nailed it. Um, with Over the Target, which is another one of their interesting new programs. The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, Unraveling the Global Agenda. Michael Rechtenwald, great book. Um, Michael, I see it's getting uh, great reviews, great attention, well-deserved. Congratulations again on the book. Uh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. It, it's going pretty well, and uh, I've been giving talks all around uh, on the topic Political ponderology, you know, I was, I've been reading it online. There's a few drafts online, but then I got the real edition of Political Ponderology by Andres Wobicevsky. Um, and I saw that you'd done an introduction. So I was so keen to talk to you about it. And again, I'm so grateful that you're here to talk about it. Can you tell me what got your interest in this book? I want to talk about your introduction and I want to talk about um, your insight. And I want to talk about Wobicevsky's insight. But what, what was it that got you interested in political ponderology? Political ponderology is, uh, ponderology uh, can be translated as the study or science of evil. Uh, so the term ponderology comes from uh, the Greek poneros, which means uh, inbred evil that is easily uh, spread. Uh, that's effectively what it means. So. The book is about the spread of evil. And uh, so what got me interested in this book is, of course, uh, having had a run-in with the leftist authoritarians at NYU, uh, I started to research what, uh, of course, into the leftist authoritarian mindset, uh, which took me, of course, into studies of uh, political ideology and economics uh, including like the Black Book of Communism and uh, the Stalinist Digital Archive and other sources uh, that tried to give me, I was trying to get clued into what is the nature of leftist authoritarianism uh, slash totalitarianism. And then I came across this book, Political Ponderology, which came up in the context of a workshop in which the editor, uh, Harrison Coeli, was a member. And uh, this struck me as extremely interesting in the sense that it was the only book that, uh, that suggested that it understood the, the origins of this to of totalitarianism. And it didn't see it as coming from ideology or economics, which was entirely new to me because I had thought if you understand the ideology and the economics, you understand totalitarianism. And he says something quite different than that. And uh, it, it, it struck me as, wow, this book, uh, if it's right, and uh, if it is, uh, if it is uh, you know, telling, then we have one of the most important books in the, in the world. 
on our hands. We, we look at totalitarianism, Nazism, uh, we look at the Chinese Communist Party, Stalinism, Leninism. We look at these through a historical lens. We look at it in terms of economics. Um, but we don't look at it the way that a political pomology does. So if you can, what is it? What's his, how does he explain? I, I believe he says that he has the, something like the formula for explaining the origins of evil. Um, and yep. uh, what is it? Well, I would call it a psychologistic approach. That is, it approaches the whole origin of even evil from the perspective of individual psychology. And it suggests that uh, pathocracy, which is evil, uh, which is ruled by uh, pathocrats or psychopaths, yeah. it starts uh, from the psychopaths themselves. And uh, it, it is spread... Uh, throughout the society by psychopaths. And uh, it, it begins with, uh, as he puts it in the book, uh, a schizoid personalities who mm -hmm. write these treatises that then become attractive to uh, other people, which he calls characteropaths, and they spread the ideology. Uh, there's something wrong with the ideology from the beginning, uh, but then it gets into the hands of psychopaths who take over on the basis uh, of this ideology. So it is ideological, but he, he does a critique of ideological analysis itself, which is part of this book. I come at it uh, largely from, you know, from literature, literary analysis. So we have Solzhenitsyn who talks mm -hmm. about, you know, what is evil. He says, well, this, if it was just so easy to, um, to say these people are good and these are those these really evil people are responsible for doing these really bad things and we have to stop them he said but it's not that easy the the line between good and evil cuts through the middle of every human heart i love the yeah. phrase is something like that yeah and it appears that Bobachevsky and his colleagues i think of them as po uh, fellow ponerologists mm -hmm. they're saying no no wait a minute there are evil people in the yes. world and if you don't recognize this this causes untold suffering. And so, you know, uh, we should talk a little bit of his biography. Wojciechowski uh, was born in 1921, lived through the Nazi occupation of Poland, and then, of course, uh, then, of course, communism in Poland. Mm -hmm. So he saw, he saw these pathologies and how it affected the people around him. He himself, I believe, I believe was arrested and tortured three times mm -hmm. before he, before he <clears throat> moved to the U.S., something like that. But when you read this and you're like, well, wait a minute, <clears throat> of course this makes total sense that pathological regimes would be the function of pathological people, mm -hmm. right? Is that what you take to be his, the, the fundamental argument here? The fundamental argument, I think, is that, in fact, uh, that uh, totalitarianism is a pathocracy or ruled by pathocrats yeah. uh, and that pathocrats are effectively psychopaths. So there you have it. You have... Uh... You have a pathocracy that's evolving because there's very little resistance to it because people are not aware that perhaps they're dealing with a pathocracy. And totalitarian rule is a pathocratic rule. And the people at the top typically love torture. They love killing people. They want to decide who lives and who dies based on their moods okay you know the crime of the day and how they're offended or what they're feeling is what rules things rather than is this a moral wrong the wrong is based on what they invented in their head that day rather than the law okay and there there are legal conventions that kind of fit in every society you know, most people in every society have laws against theft, against outright killing someone else, against uh, forcible sexual assault, uh, and of course, fraud. In most cultures, there is and are many laws associated with fraud, which is just a, another way of saying theft. So, in totalitarian societies, Nobody's allowed to say, I don't like it when you steal from me because you work for the government, or I don't like it when you 
do X, Y, and Z or rape my family member or do such and such because there's someone else who's in control of all systems and that person, the system itself is crazy. It's led by crazy people. Evil, crazy people. So um, I, I kind of have an evolving joke that the Lifetime movie only has two plots it's they took my baby and the other plot is basically one that applies to this situation which is you know the person closest to me is is not who they say they are they're a lying controlling you know terrifying person who will kill you who will kill you in your sleep okay but they've seduced me greatly and and they have all control now i have to get out of this and that's like every lifetime movie that and they stole my baby, which doesn't apply here. So, so people get into these constant power struggles because they're they're kind of gullible in some ways to to the the noises and songs, the seductive song of of the sociopath who who knows what they like to hear. I used to say that Obama was smooth jazz for Democrats, and I wasn't wrong. Because that guy wormed in, and he gave us the most totalitarian business I've ever seen. In terms of the NSA, uh, you know, mapping the globe. Uh, these, these just stackable programs that had, they were silos and siloed and siloed. Databases within, the, it was like a turducken of databases. It just went on forever. I felt like we would never get unwrapped from that crap. And I don't think that we, we really fully have because we haven't rolled back counterterrorism laws. So here's my promise to you. Um, as we speak, I'm packaging uh, my survey. I've, I've jettisoned it out to a couple of, of news organizations. I don't know what they're gonna do with it, um, but I've, I've sent it out to, to one Russell Brand and I've sent it out to, to maybe um, system update for reference and my my point is that these are questions that must be asked of our future leadership they're never held to the fire about counter-terror laws and the awful track record that it's brought us you know if counter-terror was the production of of mass peace and you know it, it answered everybody's questions about you know civil society and it really did tent and honor our privacy instead of making mouth noises at it and then still collecting the data on your genitals at the airport which still goes on they have that data if you give it to them they don't erase it like they say they do and they do owe us the burden of proof to pro proof that it's gone okay like here is a letter, we did it, rather than get off my desk, we don't do that. Which is what they have told me. They're on the hook for that. They spent tax money to do that to Americans. And they are not forgiven. Until it stops. Until they start stop raking us for cash to give to public universities in Palo Alto and at University of Washington to tell us how to think more socialist according to DHS then I think we're not done here we're it's only gotten worse 20 years of counter-terror law is the circumspect excuse for all of this garbage okay and we were okay without it in our Republic for a long, long time, we're not okay now. I can say that with absolute certainty because what has happened is that parallel governments evolved that have better, com more commercial allegiances, you know, with global banking autocrats and China. So those aren't our governments, yet they are co-governed by them and they are influencing our method of dealing with commerce and with our monetary system that is very dangerous to personal liberty so 
I think I'll wrap it there. I want to thank you for, for entertaining the voice here at the Unsanctioned Citizen. We want to hear from you. We want to get you to come read with us and, uh, and, and talk to us about some of your perspectives. Uh, write us at, um, at our Substack page. Uh, subscribe if you haven't been there. SheilaMDean.substack.com Oh, and before I forget, I wanted to not be remiss. Matt Taibbi gave excellent commentary on America This Week uh, regarding his sensitivity to the IRS moving personal information of tax prepares um, into the hands of Meta, who is essentially a commissary of services for the intelligence agencies. So that was not done with anyone's consent. It was just overreach. So they're just kind of people they don't even have contracts with. They're just kind of they're just kind of laundering this business. It's like I'm a social media company and I also do this battery of services on the other hand. Also funded through your public dollar. Uh So um again, thank you for attending your ear Letting me bend it this way. Uh, you know, again, I clap for you, Hollywood. You know, I've got your back on this one. Name, image, likeness. You know I've got your back. Because if you cannot protect the license of your name, image, and likeness, you are not a human person anymore. They are going to steal you and sell you at nauseum for, for less than pennies if they can do it. And because they've been doing it online for 15, 17 years to people who have Facebook accounts, uh, now they're coming for you. So let's change it. I'm with you. Thank you for joining. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast Archives at Substack, Automatic iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.